Hey there, boss. This is Jeff Mendelson, host of the One Big Tip podcast. And I am so excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program, where I teach you how to fast track your lead gen by having more conversations with your targeted clients, even if you have no list, audience, or paid ads. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero, and let me show you how to be the superhero in your own business. I am also actively seeking guests for this podcast. If you know someone who is currently six figures or more in their business and they have an actionable, tangible, and measurable tip to share, please let them know about it. Just go to onebigtip.com slash guest for information on how to be a guest. I can't wait to hear from you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Jeff Mendelson, and this is the One Big Tip Podcast. With me today is Derek McManus, who recognized that the human psyche is our greatest asset. A former sniper trained by the military elite SAS, Derek knows all too well the perils of combat and has the wounds to prove it. What makes him unique is that he tapped into something that we all have available to us and used it not only to survive, but also to thrive. So today, Derek coaches people worldwide to do the same, teaching them the importance of proactively accepting the responsibility and consequences of their choices and actions so that they too can be resilient and sustain optimal performance. It's going to be a great conversation today. Derek, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Really looking forward to it. I've listened to a lot of your stuff, so I love the way you do uh, your interviews. Thank you so much. So I want to first take a few minutes and, you know, I want the audience to understand who it is that they're talking to, right? You know, you're, you were in the special forces, seen some combat. So, and you've also, you know, like not only seen the action, but you've seen the consequences of the action that, you know, you had to go through. Can you please tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Yes, sensational. Thank you. So my background is actually policing. Uh, it's not a, a military background, it's policing, and but it was a policing special operation. So it was high-risk arrests, hostage siege situations, and in South Australia, we're also responsible for counter-terrorism. So I was trained by the military SAS, which is the equivalent of the Navy SEALs, in counter-terrorism. And I brought that back all into the civil arena rather than the military arena. We went out to arrest a guy uh, back in 1994, uh, he had a warrant for 197 counts of fraud, but we knew his history. We knew his background, that it, it was potentially going to be violent. So when we went out to arrest him, he made it very clear that he wasn't all that keen on being arrested. He started firing with a 7.62 Chinese military assault rifle, and uh, he fired 18 times and hit me 14 times with either bullets or shrapnel. I had some major injuries. I had a severed artery in my right wrist, and a severed artery in my left forearm, uh, two bullets in my stomach, two bullets in my thigh, bullets through my right Achilles tendon, and other, I call them smaller bits and pieces. And then I was lying on the ground for three hours, dealing with those injuries, bleeding profusely, and uh, I can go into lots of detail about what I was thinking, and, and we probably will touch on what I was thinking during that three hours, because I was fully conscious. But I was monitoring my body closing down, and I... I lost so much blood that I consciously accepted it was just going to my kidneys, my lungs, my heart, my brain. 
And uh, at one point, my blood supply got so low that even my vision closed down and I saw the white light. But it was at that time that two rifle shots were fired from outside the house. And that was a confirmation my mates were on their way to see me and adrenaline kicked in and my vision kicked back up and I was passing in and out of consciousness. Uh, The first doctor to get to me said that I was probably about 30 seconds from death when he did see me. And when he did the analysis, he actually doesn't know how I survived. He says, all the textbooks say my heart should have stopped. And he then said that the only reason my heart didn't stop is because I probably hadn't read the textbooks that told me it should do. So, you know, quite interesting. But it was from there that I went to hospital. Uh, I spent a month in hospital and two and a half years in physical rehabilitation and eventually went back to fully operational in the police star group, as we call it, special task and rescue. So I went back fully operational, no restrictions whatsoever, absolutely full duties, but it took me two and a half years. The really surprising thing for most people is that as much as it took me two and a half years physically, I went and had a conversation with a psychiatrist just three months after the shooting. And when I had this conversation, He picked my brain about what was happening inside my head. I actually picked his brain about what can I anticipate in the future? What are the things that I should expect? I know that people have nightmares, flashbacks, triggers of sounds, of smells. or What can I anticipate might happen to me? And if it does happen, how can I deal with it? What's the good way of managing it and how people managed it badly? What's the difference? What, What might I be able to expect? And as a result of that conversation, just three months after the shooting, he said, psychologically, I could go back to work the next day and I never needed to come back and see him again unless I chose that I needed to. And that has astounded other psychiatrists, psychologists. But once they start talking to me and understanding the way I think, and it's the preparation beforehand, it's the conversations we have with ourselves about the reality of the situation we're actually going into and then how we prepare ourselves for it, that allowed me to not only, as you described it, not only survive it, but thrive afterwards and go back to a fully operational life. And I've had no PTSD, no stress, no depression, no anxiety in relation to going back to that job. It's almost like uh, the bullets went right through you, but they didn't affect anything. You know, it's like, you know, you have this. That would sound so good. (laughs) Right. No, because uh, what's really interesting about that story is that you really ran through the ringer. Like you said, you should not have survived that ordeal, but then you come through it and you come through it without these adverse effects that many other people, you know, that are in high stress situations like yourself in the military and the police, you know, things like that, you know, all too often they do come back with the PTSD. They do come back with dealing with those wounds that, you know, that frankly diminish their capacity to, you know, to do the things that they, that they used to be able to do often. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. When all of this happened to you though, right? Like I really want to focus more on the, you know, the post-op part of it, you know, where you started going back home and not really dealing with all these people, you know, around you trying to keep you awake and trying to keep you, you know, saying when you finally had time to really dwell on this on your own with your family at home and, you know, do that kind of healing. What were the kind of lessons you learned when you went through that part? Because there are these stages that you, you know, that you have to go through in order to make peace with, uh, you know, with the results of these actions. How did that look in your world for like the first six months or so? 
See, this is the part that really surprises most people. It didn't phase me at all that I was struggling. Oh, actually, I should should redress that. The recovery phase was awkward. It was challenging. It was uncomfortable. It was painful. It was difficult. There were highs, there were lows and all this expected stuff. I knew that this was going to happen. And as much as it was difficult at the time, in the back of my mind, I'd already said to myself, this is going to be a possibility when it does happen. I know it's going to be a struggle, but I know if I push myself through, I'll be able to get to the point where I'm comfortable with it. And the mentality was that I had this conversation with my wife five years prior to the shooting. I said to her, I'm going into Star Group. There's a real possibility I may be shot and injured. I may be shot and killed. And the conversation I had at that time was not about me per se. Uh, it was about her. If I get shot and I die, what's your life going to look like? Because I wanted her to look at the reality of what would the future look like for her if I did die? And that was a confronting conversation for her. And, and I, I know it shocked her a bit. And I'm not sure she took it with the same reality that I did, but I needed to make sure I had that conversation. But the conversation I had after that was, if I do get shot and I don't die, I need you to know right now, five years prior to the time that I did get shot, I need you to know right now that anything better than death is, better, is a bonus for me. And if I have to spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair, the one thing that I want is to be able to interact with my children as in the best way that I can. And I don't care if it's from a wheelchair or if it's from hobbling. I just want to be able to interact with them and be there for them. And that was the one driver that I took right throughout that whole time. And, and as I got a little bit better and I was able to not be in a... And a doctors told me that with the injuries I had, I probably would never walk properly again. And as I took each step and I got a little bit better at walking and a little bit better at moving and able to start lifting weights, I started lifting those goals and saying, okay, so I'm not going to be on a wheelchair. I'm not going to be completely hobbling. I will be able to. And it just gently progressed up and it was incremental steps. There was always a dream that I would get back to Star Group because, again, five years prior to the shooting, I said I may spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair, but I also said to her, I want you to know that if I can, I want to go back to Star Group. I want to keep on doing the stuff that I love so long as we assess the risks and the impact on the family and there's lots of deeper conversation in that. But that was my dream. If I could get back there, then that's where I would want to go. But the one thing that I wanted was just to be able to interact with my children in any way, shape or form. Thank you so much for sharing that because it's an impactful segue into the next part of this conversation, right? Which is having open conversations that, you know, that impact the decisions that we make Absolutely. and whether they're just business decisions or, you know, career changing decisions or life changing decisions like you, you know, like you talked about, it goes into, you know, how durable, you know, the person is right. You know, whether they really accept themselves as, you know, like uh, whether they can really pick themselves back up, right? I think a much lesser example, of, you know, like from my life is that I've been fired from so many jobs, I lost count, right? And it's either because I got laid off, somebody didn't like me, somebody didn't like my personality, whatever it was, right? But, yeah, you yeah. know, like, uh, you know, being fired from a job and losing your income, you know, like that's, you know, that's also, you, you know, a semi-traumatic event. And then, you know, you got to deal with it. It's like, okay, how am I, not only how am I going to pay for the mortgage, how am I going to buy my kids diapers and how am I going to support my Starbucks habit? 
right? So you have yeah, you have all these things going through your head, and you're like, okay, well, how am I going to do it? So let's talk a little bit about those open conversations because you know this is something very important that you should be having with your spouse. Absolutely. If your children are mature enough, of course, with them as well, but also your business partner and your employees, and you know the people that do know, support, and love you, right? That, you know, really want to see you succeed. How does that look then in your world? Like, what, like how can you tell people, like, you really need to have these, uh, these conversations and not just focus on the morbidity of it all, but also, you know, like, this is how things are going to look moving forward if things should radically change. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the open, honest, confronting conversations don't have to be morbid. There's a little bit of it that has to, a little bit, there's a lot of it that needs to be very practical, but they don't have to be overly morbid. So when I had this conversation with my my wife about what her life would look like going forward, we discussed whether she stays single and looks after the children and just dedicates herself to them, uh, whether she goes off and gets married to bring in someone else to help with that job. And it wasn't about me giving her permission to be able to do these things or not do these things or try to control her in any way. I just wanted to have clarity in her mind that whatever she wanted was okay with me. Whatever she felt was the right thing is okay with me. Because the worst thing that can happen is that I die and then she goes through life thinking, oh, my gosh, Derek probably would have wanted me to. Derek may have wanted me to. So we had that open, honest, confronting conversation about that. And I say that don't have to be morbid because I threw her three three options as to how she might be able to deal with it. The first one was she stays single and, you know, she... um, looks after the children, dedicates herself to them. The other option is that she goes and gets married and brings someone else in. And I said, the third option that you have is that you can build a little shrine in the corner for me and worship each day. Apparently that wasn't a popular option, but it broke the tension of the conversation. So as much as they're confronting conversations, they don't have to be aggressive. They don't have to be overwhelming. They don't have to be morbid. They can be somewhat lighthearted. They just have to address the reality of the possibility in the future. And the reality is both positive and negative possibilities. And that's a really important one. A lot of people say, oh, I've got to prepare for the negative because if it goes well, I don't have to worry about it. But we all know lots of businesses that have gone so well that they go out of business because they can't manage the growth. So in a business context, owners of businesses, managers, leaders of teams, they need to have open, honest, confronting conversations with their team because that builds up trust. If the team knows that what you are telling me is spot on and I don't have to have any doubt, then they have trust and they can both move forward together. And in those open, honest, confronting conversations, and we go through a model of developing this conversation and how it looks in this model of durability that I've got, there's a point where we take a look at our assets. What are the resources we have? What are the financial resources? What are the intellectual resources? What training have we got? Uh, what key people have we got in our lives that we can draw upon? And, you know, the other part of it is what gaps do we have in those resources to be able to achieve the objective that we're trying to achieve? And going through this discussion about what it is and what we don't have, um, I say there are two levels of comfort that come out of it. The first level of comfort is we take away the doubt, the uncertainty as to whether we can or we can't. And when we know that we've got the financial resource, even if the worst thing happens, we've got the financial resources, we've got the people in place, we've had the training, we've had the exposure, we know how it's going to affect us. 
And if the worst thing happens, we can actually deal with it. And then we take out the uncertainty, the uh, caution, the timidity, and we go, okay, let's go forward bold, really confident, really courageously, make decisions that other people go, wow, how can you do that? Because we know we've got the resources. The second level of comfort that comes from it is to say, do you know something? If the worst happens, we don't have the resources. I know we don't have the resources. So I'm going to say at this stage, we are not going to move forward. We're going to stay here. But you're also able to articulate the reasons. And when you're able to articulate the reasons and people understand your thinking, again, that builds up the trust. Okay, this person, male or female, has actually thought it through and they're able to articulate those reasons. It's not just... I don't know whether it's going to work, so I'm not going to take, I, I don't feel right about it. No, you're able to articulate those reasons. And that gives you clarity and certainty for whichever way you choose to go. And when we take the uncertainty out of, the military call it the VUCA situations. And VUCA stands for, we take out the volatility, we take out the uncertainty, we take out the complexity, we take out the ambiguity. When we take those things out and we have clarity and certainty for the future we can go let's go forward confidently boldly so it's a really important conversation to be able to have but we need to have it with ourselves first right and when we can honestly have conversations with ourselves then we are more comfortable having those conversations with someone else in fact uh, nelson mandela says that uh, we can't prepare for the future while secretly pretending it's not going to happen and this is, you know, when people have those conversations in committees and there's an elephant in the corner of the room that everybody goes, somebody's going to mention it. Some, no, they're not. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you leave the committee meeting saying we've got these plans, but it doesn't address the elephant. So we take out that uncertainty. We get rid of the elephant. We invite the elephant into the conversation, for, you know, if you want to put it that way. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, one of the things that came to mind is it's one thing to have that higher level conversation of your feelings and, you know, like how you want, you know, your wishes to be respected and, you know, how you want your family and your business to propel forward. But then there's the practical, right? Then there's the practical of how do you actually put that in, you know, put that into place. So like what, you know, something tangible in this case would be, for example, life insurance. Right. You want to make sure that you have a substantial life insurance policy for your spouse so that, you know, she can go and continue and doesn't have to worry about the house and, you know, just has 15 things that she doesn't have to worry about, you know, now that you're, you know, like now that you're gone. How do you help coach people through the practical stuff of actually putting together an implementation plan into place as they're going, you know, as they're making these plans, you know, for the next steps as they come? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've actually got a model here and, and I'll bring that close to camera so that people can actually see it and they can freeze frame and uh, pause you know, as much as they can. When we go through this model, one of the most important conversations that we have going through that model is taking responsibility. And I know we discussed this before and I, you want me to address this. So taking responsibility for four stages taking responsibility for our choice, taking responsibility for our action, taking responsibility for the consequences, both good and bad, positive and negative, however you want to term it, but then taking responsibility for the future afterwards. So in that that fairly quick demonstration of the conversation with my wife, I was taking responsibility for my choice. We had a discussion. I'm going into Star Group. 
as a result of going into star group, these things may happen. So even before I'd taken the action and got into star group, we'd had the conversation about the choice, the action I was going to take, and the possible consequences. I may be shot and injured. I may be shot and killed. We certainly had a conversation about me going into star group. I'm going to be able to jump out of helicopters. I'm going to have boats. I'm going to have planes. I'm going to have going out camping and abseiling and, and all those things. It was going to be, I've got all the boys' toys in the world. So we talked about the both the positive and the negative and what that might mean. But I also talked about the future afterwards. I may spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair. And if that happens, anything better than death is going to be a bonus to me. And these are the conversations that we need to have with our partner. In fact, I, uh, I was running a, a workshop for an air conditioning company. And I had that conversation about taking responsibility for choices right when we take responsibility for these four things, we've got to do it at the time we make the choice before we take that first action. And when I had this conversa uh, conversation with this air conditioning company, the there were two owners, husband and wife, and the wife came to me afterwards and said, Derek, that really resonated with me. And it made me appreciate my husband even more because when Frank was deciding to take this company and make it bigger, he came and had a conversation with me. And the conversation went very similar to what my conversation was. Uh, Frank came to Kathy and he said, Kathy, I'm going to make this decision and I want to take this action and make the company big. If it gets big, these are all the bonuses we're going to have and it's going to look great. But if it doesn't go well, I know that we will be living in a small tin shed at the back of a bare paddock and we will have to start rebuilding again. And Kathy told me that what she said to Frank at that time was Frank, so long as I have you by my side, we will be happy and we will do what we need to do. Now, that gave Frank the confidence that he's got complete backing. He's not going to get denigrated or in trouble or his head chopped off or whatever it is by his wife. You've made a mistake. You've ruined my life. She knows what the risks are and she was willing to go forward with him, trusting that he will do the best he can. There is no guarantee of success in anything, but we need to do the best we can. But these take a responsibility for that choice, action, consequence, and the future afterwards, even before we make that final choice and making that uh, decision, do we go forward or don't we? That That's just essential. And it works for husband and wife. It works in business dealing with our partners. Uh, it works on an elite sporting team. Everybody needs to be on track. Everybody needs to know if this happens, this is what I want you to do afterwards. If it goes wrong, this is how you need to counter it. And it works in every aspect of our lives. I love it. Thank you so much for walking through that. I think it's really informative. And, it, you know, it is something that people really need to have these conversations about, you know, because I've seen partnerships disintegrate. I've seen partnerships disintegrate between brothers you know, where they don't have these conversations, where their their compasses or their directions are so misaligned that it just doesn't make sense for them to be together, right? Absolutely. And then what happens is that if they're not aligned, you know, then it's like, well, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, Absolutely. you're not going to make, you're not going to make anything happen. So, so I've, I've got a, uh, an accountant financial advisor that uh, wants me to come and run a seminar for some of uh, their clients. And one of the conversations that we had was that some of the husband-wife partnerships are going, okay, this is where we need to go. And the other partner who's 
not in the business but is enjoying the benefits of the business is saying things like, well, just make sure you don't make a mistake. Don't you ruin my life. And and that is just so negative. They need to both be on board. Either we're going to take this risk and everything is a risk. There are no guarantees of success, but we need to take this risk or if you're uncomfortable, we need to agree as to where our risk tolerance sits because if you want growth and the benefits of growth, there's a risk that comes with it. You, it may not go well. And if both people aren't on board, then there's that tentivity, ten- uh, being tenuous, uh, being nervous, being apprehensive about, oh, do I do this? Don't I do this? It's better to be absolutely solid. We are going to do this and we're only going to take this much risk rather than this much risk. And they're both on board for it and they both support it. So it is important to have both people on the same page. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really great advice. Derek, I'd like to close out this conversation uh, with you telling everyone, you know, like how they can learn more about you. How can they reach out to you directly? How can they learn more about your mission? Okay, so certainly you can go to my webpage, which is uh, DerekMcManus.com. And beautiful, it's right up there on, on screen. I really appreciate that. And I am traveling the world these days and, and I've got a, a window where I'm coming into the US probably within the next three months and really looking forward to connecting with people in the US. But reach out to me. I'm writing a white paper on the philosophy of human durability and human durability is the ability to go beyond resilience to that point where we have sustainable, optimal performance. And and in that arena, there is absolutely no stress and, and we've probably have another conversation about how can you be in a no stress situation but it really is a a comfortable place so they can reach out they can send me an email they can uh, get on the phone to me Um, i'm very happy to have conversations about what's possible for you as an individual as a team leader or as an organization um, and what we can do together and we can have that conversation without any expectation of commitment uh, at all very I, i love discussing this just love discussing this stuff So reach out and have a conversation with me. Amazing. Derek, thank you for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun and I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate your service and I appreciate the message and the mission that you're bringing to the world. Thank you for joining me today. Jeff, it's been sensational. I love the, as I say, I love the way you do your interviews. So no, been great being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the One Big Tip podcast. If you're a six to eight figure entrepreneur, business coach, or speaker who would like to be on this show, we need to talk. The audience for this podcast is hungry for experts and professionals who want to share their knowledge with this world. So if you're ready to share your actionable and measurable One Big Tip, please go to onebigtip.com slash guest and let's get your story out there. I am also crazy excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program. With this program, I show busy entrepreneurs the strategies that I use to have warm conversations with my dream clients, keep my calendar book solid, and consistently have potential clients at the ready, all anxiously waiting to speak with me every single week. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero and let me show you how to be the superhero in your business today. Lastly, I have a huge ask for you. Could you please share this with your audience on social media? The stories and connections that I make on this podcast have helped thousands of people, sometimes in the most profound ways. 
And you never know if your small action today will be the one that kickstarts your friend, a family member, or even yourself into taking massive action and starting the next multi-million dollar business. It'll be your way of just paying it forward. My name is Jeff Mendelson. You can find me on all the major social channels like LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening.